0: Welcome, everyone, to this Veristore podcast. James Hilliard, happy to be on board with all of you. Thank you so much for taking time. We're going to go about 25, 30 total minutes here today. A little bit of tech talk, a little bit of inspiration talk. And at the top here, we're going to be joined by Jason Grant. He's the director of storage for Veristore. Also, we have master technologist Joe Vidal on board from HPE. Uh, and we're going to be talking really, again, high level, some of the roadblocks that it, it comes to Uh, that folks are facing these days when it comes to data and storage and we'll touch on some things that you might be thinking about and also being able to utilize uh, to help you with some of those challenges out there and then in the second half of our conversation since we're talking about roadblocks and things that are holding us back we've got a special guest his name is Aaron Ralston you may remember the story from 2003 Aaron was trapped out in a Utah desert 800 pound boulder came uh, falling down on his arm and pinned him to a wall. He was there for 127 hours. That's the name of the movie that was inspired by his story. He's here to talk to us about some of the decision-making and ideas around that and share a bit of his story. So that's what we've got on tap here today. Looking forward to the whole program. going to kick off on the Tech Talk. And Jason, as I bring you on board here, did mention there that there are some roadblocks that companies are facing these days when it comes to data and storage. We're just creating so much more content and data out there that it's causing uh, teams to look back at how are we storing this? Are we doing it in the right way? Do we have the right tools? Do we have the right mindsets, the right architectures, all that? So you're out there, Jason. You're talking to your customer base. What are their challenges? What are they saying, Jason, this is where we feel pinned to the wall because these are the big things bearing down on us?
1: Yeah. uh, Good afternoon, James. Thanks for having me. So I think fundamentally at a high level, there's probably three challenges that, that we talk about the most to customers as it relates to storage. So the first obviously is, there is unprecedented uh, explosive data growth, if you will. Um, and that, that problem is not going away, obviously. Um, we're, we're generating tons of data, tons of different types of data, uh, retaining that data for even longer, and then all of the security implications that come with, uh, with generating and, re- and retaining that kind of data. Um, I think the second one is around the operational aspects of it. Uh, so in other words, day-to-day administration, provisioning, monitoring, and management, as, as these systems and the amount of data continue to scale, that introduces a, another level of complexity. Um, and then lastly, probably the most popular conversation right now uh, as it relates to storage, again, is around Opex versus capex um, so subscription and 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 Opex have have certainly t- taken center stage over the traditional capex models um, so you know customers want to they want to be able to consume things um, in a cloud-like operating model um, and so that introduces you know its own set of challenges as well so I, I would say those are those are probably the big three it's going to be, operationalizing all of these different facets, um, the the day-to-day administration, um, and just, I guess, the overall scalability of these types of environments.
0: Tell me a little bit here about the feeling around some of those conversations. When you're having that conversation with these folks, your customers, is there a feeling of despair? Is it we're just lost? We're not sure what to do? Uh, are they walking away with, when you talk to them saying, oh, so, there is hope. I can deal with these challenges. What are some of the feelings around that that you're experiencing with them?
1: I would say not necess- not necessarily uh, from a position of fear um, there there are certainly challenges that are that have more attention and and that are more concerning from a security perspective. Um, but I would say most of the customers um, that, that we speak with. Again, it's not from a place of fear, but there are certainly areas of improvement or areas uh, that can be improved in these, in these types of infrastructures. Um, so I would say it's more um, of a, a particular feature or a particular product maybe that a customer is not familiar with uh, that is more appropriate to address a specific type of problem or a specific type of challenge in that environment.
0: Copy. And, and Joe, let me bring you in here and, and, and let me preface my my thought here on, you know, in the past, I think HPE Hewlett Packard was always known as gear. And tools, and let's get you some hardware and all that. But my observation, as with many large tech leaders in this industry, really have transformed into understanding customers more, that thought leadership, being an organization that really can help lead because of that global uh, footprint and all the experiences you see. So what are you most proud of, maybe, Joe, is the question of how HPE is being that transformational partner with customers to help them on their journey? Journey is not just a transactional, hey, buy some hardware for us.
2: And, and you know, great question, James. Again, thanks, thanks again for having me on. Uh, but You know, and you know my background and, and probably many people here watching this podcast do as well. You know, I'm kind of a server guy. Before that, I was an application developer. And so for me, it's always been about availability, about access, about simplicity, right? And HPE's now nimbleness. And I use that term not just because we own the product nimble, right? But we're our our agility and ability to re-pivot and pivot. You know, and when you're looking at the big boulders in life that are coming down and, and blocking you in, locking you down, you need to pivot, right? And we're pivoting the business. And we started that, thankfully, several years ago, right? Antonio Neri and our board had the vision to move to an as-a-service company, right? To be the edge-to-cloud platform as a service company that delivers the private cloud that comes to you. And that message was not only lucky and fortuitous, but it was brilliant and it was needed and it's kind of resounding now. Right and reverberating across the entire industry because it's positioned us perfectly to kind of own this space. And granted, everybody doesn't want something as a service. Um, everybody does, however, need to deliver IT as a cloud service. Some people actually need to own their own gear. You know what? That's okay. We'll sell it to them, right? And, and Veristore is really great about pulling together all the various different parts, right? And and not only that, bringing in the security consultants to add to our own staff, right? And they're adding in our solutions around their multiple vendor portfolios. And that's one of the other nice things about GreenLake. And one of the things I'm proud about HPE is we recognize that it's not just a homogeneous HPE world out there. People do have other stuff, Right. That's non-HPE. And Veristore is able to bring that all together, automate it all, deliver it all as a single cohesive hybrid multi-cloud with visibility across everything. And and, and not only that, it's secure. Right. And I think I, I'm actually really proud of that messaging and our ability to deliver on that.
0: And let's dive in a little bit on security. We're not going to do a deep dive here, but, you know, Jason brought up that we keep on making all this data. That's not going to stop. That is no. our goldmine now for all organizations, big or small. No. And so we do need to secure that. And one of the things that I know a lot of teams are looking for is just the visibility. They just need to know and help kind of prioritize some of that. Talk to me briefly about kind of that security posture and how HPE is helping teams become more secure in a very, you know, insecure world.
2: Sure. And, and, you know, I'll I'll quote the FBI, the FBI says that it's not a question of if it's a question of when you're going to be breached, right? And how often? And the bad actors are getting really good at being really bad, right? Once they find access to a well, they come back multiple times, right? They'll keep coming back. And we have the ability now to sec- not only secure the data, secure data access, but guarantee business continuity. And again, this is an area that Veristore really helps us excel in delivering multiple different types of immutable data copies, right? So we can stand up a virtual product private LAN or a an SD WAN link, stand that up to a remote storage resource, push that back up out there, then tear down that network connectivity and or take that storage offline. Either one, either one will separate an air gap that data and ensure that you have immutable data copy that now the bad actors don't have access to. Right. And that's really a huge benefit right now. And that's that's the biggest issue and the biggest need right across the board.
0: And Jason, I can assume then there's a a trust when you're out there talking to a customer and they're laying out some of the issues. Maybe they're talking to you about business continuity. Maybe they're saying we need a little more automation in here related to our, our storage. There's a trust that you can reach out and you know that you've got access to the HPE team that can help come in and, and bring the right solutions to your customer base.
1: Absolutely. Um, so HPE as as we all know has a quite the extensive portfolio, Uh, but to Joe's point a few minutes ago, um, that portfolio uh, specifically and and everything kind of under GreenLake, there is is a product for just about every solution out there. Um, I think that one of the unique values that HP brings to the table um, is recognizing a lot of those leading technologies like Zerto, like Cumulo, like Cohesity, the, you, you name it, um, the, the product or the service offering that may be under the portfolio. So the point of that is, um, they're able to also bring best of breed technologies to specifically address um, you know, those, those different types of challenges that customers have in the environment. So it's, it's refreshing to work with an organization um, that has the, the tool bag, if you will, that HP brings to the table. Um, it, certainly make, it, it certainly makes from a technical perspective, our jobs and our lives a lot easier um, when we have just a, a great portfolio and a great organization to work with.
2: You know, great point, Jason, and, and and literally each one of those multiple different storage solutions you mentioned, right, uh, they, they deliver either block or file or object storage, but they're also now recently been updated, so they're all placed on top of a Gen 10 server platform with that ILO 5 Silicon Root of Trust, making them secure data platforms, and that's again a, a resounding message, and thank you for bringing that up for me.
0: And I want to go a little bit back to mindset, and we're going to bring Aaron Ralston on board here in a moment, talk a little bit more mindset. Um, But but the mindset of... Uh, kind of the as a service and how that plays to this changing nature of IT organizations from the capex to the opex. And again, HPE was out there in the lead for a while doing that. And look, adoption—it's not there at the very beginning with something brand new. But all of a sudden, the the teams that were looking at that right, HPE has been really greatly positioned, especially I'd argue over the last two years, to where people were really conscious of that. Now that's becoming the way of the world—is this capex versus opex? You mentioned earlier that's something a lot of your customers are looking for definitely all right we're well, joe and jason do appreciate it and folks there is some contact information if you want to learn more about what Veristore and hpe can offer you in terms of uh, data and storage and security first off Veristore.com. also a phone number and i'll jot these uh, out to you at the end as well but there's a phone number i want you to jot down it is six seven eight nine nine zero. 1593. Continue the conversation with the Veristore team. And obviously they can bring in HPE and have these conversations about your needs around that. Again, CapEx and OpEx conversation about anything and everything, security about some of those uh, data storage challenges that you have. So keep that conversation going. Again, Veristore.com. With that, we'll move into the second part of the conversation here. Glad to have Aaron Ralston on board. I mentioned to you all that it was his life's story that inspired the Hollywood movie 127 Hours. Uh, Aaron Ralston to get more information. And uh, there's some other videos you can watch over there. Lots of good information. I recommend the movie had a chance to catch up with that again recently. Also, uh, I really enjoyed watching Aaron and Tom Brokaw uh, six months after this story that you're about to hear happened. Aaron and Tom Brokaw went back to the exact same place and relived some of what Aaron had gone through. Through. So, I recommend finding that. That's out there on uh, YouTube and uh, other places as well. But Aaron, good to see you. Thank for, for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thanks, James. Good to be here.
0: So. We do not have 127 hours to spend to tell the story, uh, which is a shame because it is a great story. So I hope people find the other resources. I hope they read the book Between a Rock and a Hard Place, which you penned about the experience. But let's take a little bit of time. And you do a pretty nice job in a short period of time of summarizing your going out on just for what you thought was a little day trip hike type thing and turned into truly a life changing experience.
3: Yeah, it started. It was 19 years ago this month. Uh, it was spring break time. I, I was uh, out from home in Aspen, Colorado, over in southeast Utah. I had a five-day break from work and decided that I on on Saturday, April 26th of that year, 2003, to to go out on this this mountain bike and hike loop through Blue John Canyon. So I rode my bike for about 15 miles in the morning down to where I left it uh, on the, the last Juniper on the left and, and then started hiking down into the Slot Canyon, which uh, for, uh, yeah, the, the first eight, nine miles is barely wider than your shoulders. Uh, as I was about seven miles into the canyon uh, that day and mid afternoon, uh, it was uh, yeah, just around three o'clock when I got to a drop off in the, in the bottom of the canyon that I, I was down climbing, I, I got to a, a chalk stone a boulder that was wedged between the walls of the canyon. Uh, I, I kicked at it to make sure it was stable enough that I could stand on it and then began descending off of it, uh, dangling my body over it and then hanging from it as if I just were hanging on the, the edge of a basketball rim, uh, dropping uh, in the moments before with my body there in suspension, uh, to the to the canyon floor as it continued on. But in that moment, as I was hanging from the boulder, the boulder cut loose uh, from how it was being suspended between the, the walls of the canyon there. I fell to the bottom of the canyon a few feet. I, I landed, uh, only had a split second to, to try to get my balance and then look back up to, to realize that this 800-pound boulder was falling from my head. I reacted with that instinct to protect my skull. I put my hands up and I pushed myself out from underneath the rock, but of course, I have exposed my hands. As the boulder was radically ricocheting between the walls, it smashed my left hand, it rebounded, it smashed my right hand, and then it, it uh, bounced once more. My right hand slipped in further into the gap uh, between the boulder and the wall of the canyon on my right side, just as in the next moment the walls tapered down in this hourglass constriction right in front of my chest and the boulder comes slamming down uh, now becoming wedged between the walls once more but about six feet lower than it was and at this time it's now ensnared my right arm and hand in an impossibly small shadow between the boulder and the wall of the canyon. I was trapped and as of course the pain immediately spikes, uh, the, the understanding of the, the mortal danger that I'm in, uh, the adrenaline pulsing through my, my body, and that I lost control. I started lashing out, and then this, this frothing fury, I, everything I could do to try to lift the boulder, to, to try to rip my arm free, To, to <laughs> I was punching and cursing at the rock as if I could somehow to bully it into letting me go. Uh, But all of this futile, until almost an hour into the entrapment, I was finally able to stop. And stop is an an acronym that that I use to to give myself a pause and a reset, uh, to to first off, stop, and to to take a breath, to to give yourself a moment, to to collect yourself, uh, to tea, think, and engage your higher brain, not just the kind of the more animalistic fight or flight uh, sort of response that we can have that internalized fury that I was going through uh, and brainstorm. So it's O, oh, uh, make some observations, come up with some options. And then P, decide on a plan. I went through this and, and came up with uh, in the next few minutes, really, uh, a number of other alternatives, how I could get myself out of there or what I would do if I had to wait for rescue. And, uh, and even in that moment, uh, I knew I was going to have to didn't want to. I, I even said out loud, I want to cut my arm up. Yeah, in the beginning, that's that's the answer. And whatever your boulder is, the, and to make a metaphor of this, I, I want to say, I definitely understand when we resist and, and we react with that kind of, that, that pushing away, uh, wishing it weren't happening, rather than potentially even embracing, it, welcoming it. As, as I went through the following night, uh, that the first night of my entrapment, trying to carve my way through the rock of course I, I can't get, uh, but more than just a, a half of a golf ball of sandstone out of uh, this this boulder. Uh, I tried rigging up a pulley system, that fails. Uh, I can't lift the rock off of my my arm, uh, waiting for help. No one's coming, I'm in such a remote area. And I had made uh, a, a crucial mistake. Uh, perhaps something that some of the viewers here could can relate to or when maybe there's a, a data breach, a, you know, a security a hack that happens, and, and they can see how they've contributed. You, you play a role in, in creating your existence and, and your life, and yet to be able to find a compassionate accountability, that as I, I was there and understanding how I had created all of this by going out in the desert alone without telling anyone where I was going, and I, I come to see that I've played a role in, in being in this situation. But to be accountable and yet also still gentle and in as much of a loving way as we can to accept ourselves as being flawed and imperfect. It's what also gives us the power to make new choices, to, to do what I could to try to get myself out of there. But all of the options that I came up with failed. No one's coming for help. But there are no other canyoneers around. I can't lift the boulder. I can't cut through the rock. And in the end, uh, on the second day uh, of of this, I tried to cut my arm off, but I I understood that it was just a slow act of suicide to to try to escape this. I was eight to 10 hours from definitive medical care from where I was, still eight miles from my vehicle, and of course, blood loss being a factor in a 60-mile drive out of the desert uh, winding dirt road. So it goes into now the acceptance that I'm going to die here no longer standing in the bottom of the canyon, I'm in my grave. I got out my video camera and I started saying goodbye to my family, my parents, my sister, my best friends, all of my extended family, my loved ones. And that was how I came to see that this experience was actually giving me gifts. It was as sad and as somber a time as you could possibly imagine it being, trying to posthumously tell all the most important people, the most important things but it was with the recognition that I was going to die there. And yet that showed me what was truly worth living for. To hold on to that, those connections through that camera lens, to be connected with the people I love most was what gave me the strength and the courage to then make it through the second night, the third day, the third night, fourth day. It goes on until the, the fifth day where I've tried everything. I've even tried to cut into my arm. I've tried stabbing myself to get through the skin, but... The bones, uh, how can you possibly get through the bone with a knife that was so dull? And actually I even, I even have the knife right here. This, uh, this little piece of junk <laughs> that uh, my mom had, had bought a flashlight and this thing came free with it. And it, uh, it couldn't possibly, it, yeah, sooner be able to slice through the boulder than to, than to actually get through the bone in my arm. Until finally, as I'm there in the, the last night, I etched my epitaph into the wall of the canyon I've said all of my goodbyes, I'm ready to die, and yet I have a vision of a future son, a child that appears in this uh, out-of-body, near-death experience that I'm dancing with him in a living room uh, at at some point in a future life, and I understand that means I am not going to die here. The dawn comes over the desert on the sixth day that I'm out there, May 1st, 2003, and I, I now, with that knife, figure out how to use the boulder and the leverage, the, the torque that I can apply to this to break the bones first, and then use that knife to cut through the soft tissues. An hour and four minutes later, I was I was done with it. it, it, it I was smiling as I went through this because I was not focused on the pain. I realized like that's what you think of first, but it was actually the possibility that was being revealed to me to have my life again, to be able to get home and to get a hug from my mom, maybe just to see my friends, to someday meet that that future son that, that I would have, I was euphoric. As I finished this work and I stepped free, and I, I stepped out of my grave and into my life. Of course, it wasn't over and I want to make sure that we have time to, to kind of go into more, more in depth uh, of, a, of a discussion together. Uh, but ultimately I hiked another seven and a half miles almost back to my vehicle before a helicopter this miraculous uh, synchronicity plucks me out of the bottom of the canyon when I have minutes left to live and gets me to the hospital in time for them to, to truly save my life and that, that that helicopter was only there because of my mom uh, she spearheaded that whole search and rescue but again I'll, I'll wrap up there with, with the understanding that that yeah you probably you know, viewers know at least through the movie or through you know our, our kind of cultural um, adaptation of of sorts of this incorporation of this story into our psyche. They they knew the, the story about the guy that cut his arm off. I hope now they understand the story of the guy who's smiling when he cut his arm off.
0: No, I appreciate it, Aaron. Great retelling of that. And folks, there are so many. He alluded to his mom. She did some uh, good cyber sleuthing, which may have been even tougher if she tried to do it today because of some of the security we have in place. But she was basically able to get into some emails, start just getting little tidbits to have some idea of maybe where to search. And so that wasn't just a random helicopter. It was directed in area, but it was like getting ready to circle around and go back and just Season, right? So, so, you know, there is some uh, luck involved. Uh, obviously, Aaron made some of his luck. Maybe that's something I'll ask you about here in a moment, Aaron. But I want to go back to stop. You said after an hour, uh, you know, you're, you're cussing, you're swearing, you're rigging, and then you just stop. How many other times did you stop in the next five days to recompose yourself and regain some little semblance of clarity So you could move on to something else that might work when what you were doing wasn't working.
3: Well, exactly. And I think anybody who's uh, you know, it's uh, the scientific method is is an iterative process, as is a brainstorming process, the 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 trial and error and retrial, and you're constantly going through all these different options. I I kept I kept working at it, uh, even trying to carve my way free with various. Yeah, blade knife but also with rocks then I as I started picking them up from the bottom of the canyon and smashing into the bigger boulder hoping I could I could maybe exploit some some weakness in that rock of uh, all of it though keep, continues to fail I, I've rationed out all my food and water until I didn't have any anymore and then I'm drinking my own urine uh, that was uh, uh, an experiment that didn't exactly go well but uh, I was I was trying all of this over and over again And finding that that pause, as I was mostly able to reset myself with the video camera, that when I would uh, make an attempt to to try to cut into my arm, to to then realize, oh, I can never get through the bone, and and to find the sub-basement of despair that I was in, that it was only through turning on that camera, looking into the lens, talking to my family, that I was able to feel myself lifted back up. What I truly experienced was not the I suppose like when I hear people, oh, you've got such a will to live. It was truly the will to love that was carrying me through.
0: Were you lucky? Did you create your own luck? What's your thought about luck going through an experience so um, impossible to comprehend unless you're there and have lived through it? Um, And then to come out, I'm assuming a lot of people said you're lucky. So someone says, Aaron, you're lucky. How do you react to that?
3: Well, and obviously fairly unlucky too. But <laughs> I, um, I think equanimity is is one of these. Things. It's it's a the concept that that we we never really know what what's good or or bad, what's lucky or unlucky, uh, because we don't have the entire picture yet. It keeps it keeps evolving, and and so to I don't know to say yes, there were components of, of those things. There were also components of preparation of uh, I mean the, the power of love and what it led my mom through to be able to to execute that search and rescue operation. There were these were all things that were happening. I I do believe there in, in ways even divine interaction is, uh, that as as I as I looked for for assistance uh, that I I, I think I, I prayed to just about every deity that's ever been expressed <laughs> to to say like hey who, who's out there devil I'll make a deal with you. Know, it, it was all of this uh, that, that came but in the end if I if I really had to, to pinpoint what it was it was it was the connection that I had uh, especially with my mom that she knew that that I was not going to give up that I would do everything that I possibly could and that therefore she had to do everything that she possibly could and that's how in the end I was I was plucked out of there uh, that it was it was I think even far more than and just simply luck uh, in in that sense that I I don't know that I've ever had an experience as as even mystical uh, to know that okay a a vision of a future son is now going to lead me through this experience to get out and and finally as as he's now 12 years old today his name is Leo Uh, he's he's got blue hair and sorry blonde hair and blue eyes So he'll probably have blue hair pretty pretty in high school the blue hair may come along right it's a thing yeah (laughs) but I, uh, he, he's now an older brother, my, my little girl, and that's how I know if somehow the next boulder that comes, as it's always going to come, there's there's going to be, for all of us, uh, you know, death, diagnoses of disease, a divorce, a custody battle, I've been through depression, all of these things in my life, they are going to come, and so what are we going to do with that? That, that question, I know that if I had to even cut my other hand off at some point, I would do it with an even bigger smile because especially to, to get back to my children
0: and and you do now have more at this stage in life that bigger perspective more of that story filled in more of that information in there and uh hey i really appreciate you sharing the story there aaron giving us some uh things to think about uh so really glad to have you on board again folks uh aaron ralston you can get more information about aaron the book between a rock and a hard place and obviously that movie 127 hours just a lot of other resources out there you do a Quick search, Aaron Ralston, A-R-O-N, Ralston, and uh, you'll be able to, to learn more about the story. But what you were able to share with us here today, Aaron, I do appreciate. I also want to thank the uh, Veristore team for uh, putting on today's event in partnership with HPE to not only have our tech talk, but bring this part of the story as well, and inviting Aaron on board to talk to us. I really do appreciate the Veristore team. You can reach out to them online, veristore.com. Also, one last time, phone number to connect with them. Six. 6-7-8-9-9-0-1-5-9-3. With that, we are going to wrap things up today. Really appreciate all of you taking time to join us. As always, be safe, be well, and we do look forward to talking to you all down the road.